Hey there, it's Pat Miller, the Idea Coach, host of the Pat Miller Show. This show is for small business owners so they can make their business dreams come true. Our slogan is Don't Grow It Alone. And what you're going to hear is a broadcast of our show that's carried in 25 cities around the country. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Hope you love it. All right, let's go. America's small business conversation is on the air. It's the Pat Miller Show. One hour exclusively for entrepreneurs to work on your business, not in it. It's time to solve problems, capture opportunities, and celebrate your wins. Powered by the Idea Collective small business community. This is the Pat Miller Show. Now your host, Pat Miller, the Idea Coach. Welcome to the Pat Miller Show, America's small business conversation. And before we get into all the business stuff, let's just pause for a minute. Happy holidays, and I hope you're taking a break from your small business because we got about a week, week and a half here where no one's paying attention to their business, and I hope you aren't either. This is a time to recharge your batteries, take care of yourself and your family, and then we will hit it hard when we get back into January. And as we're taking stock of what's going on right now in our life and in the business and in the economy, one of the places that we can draw our attention to is where we're going to lead today's show. What is going on In the housing market, specifically, let's talk about mortgages because the houses that are available, that's realtor stuff. But one of my favorite folks to interview is joining us today to talk about the mortgage market and what is happening there. Because when we see that go up or down as small business owners, we start to get a little bit weirded out. So we want to bring on Michael Creed, producing branch manager for Luminate Home Loans. Michael, great to talk with you again. Happy holidays. How are you? Right back at you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing well. Excellent. I'm dying to know, first of all, what's going on with the mortgage market? Are rates up or rates down? Let's assume somebody knows nothing. Where are we right now? Rates right now have come down from their highs. Um, They're still quite high, though, relative to what we've been seeing for the last 15 years or so. Not quite, but close to that. And uh, so clients today are locking in many cases in the upper sixes or lower sevens, sometimes even mid sevens for a 30 year fixed rate mortgage. Depends on a lot of variables, but that's where they're going to land most of the time right now. And zooming out just to click in 2024 or 23, rather, was it just up, 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 or was it higher? Now it's lower. Just how have we been trending? It had come up quite a bit. Um, throughout the year, 2023, and uh, got up to many people were even closing in the mid eights for a while. So it's come down uh, substantially, but still high relative to what others have seen. So when people come in for a mortgage, are they coming in with, man, rates are terrible, but I need this house? Or are they starting to get normalized to rates in the six-ish range is kind of the cost of doing business right now? So that's a great question. And that generally is what happens when markets, mortgage markets move quickly uh, and, and abruptly, as we've seen really over the last couple of years. We haven't yet seen that fully. Uh, and part of that may have to do with that quote unquote realtor stuff you said earlier, right around the housing inventory. But, um, but that, is, that is true. Uh, there, there are some people that are waiting. The reality is, though, Pat, there's a generation, a generation of homeowners who have bought, and bought a home and 
they did so with subsidized mortgage rates. Everybody heard about the quantitative easing that happened during 2020, during COVID, to keep the markets flowing. They call that financial lubrication in many cases, right? <laughs> and uh, I know your audience is going to love that too. Uh, but that has been happening for so much longer than just the last couple of years. It really started, I believe it was in 08 or 09 during the housing market crash, and it continued at some level from then until current time, just in the last couple of years is what ended. Um, and so there was, there was an entire generation of homeowners that bought a house during mortgage, mortgage rates that were subsidized. And so there's a lot of people that believe rates will be back to 3% or 4% or 5%. And while they certainly could, we, we can tell by looking at a normal data points that go well beyond when our federal government was, was injecting that capital into the market that a 6 to 7% rate is actually quite normal for a normal market. Where does that leave the psyche of the lender? Are people fearful about where it's going? Are they confident with getting 6%? How are they feeling about all this? Of the borrower or of the person like me who's in the industry? Well, I would be curious about both. But first of all, I'm, I'm looking out for our listener. How are they feeling right now? Because what I observe is I observe, in general, small business owners that are just waiting for the recession. And I don't know where they're getting that. It's how they feel. It's like the prevailing wisdom is, well, it's all going to hit the fan soon. I don't know why they feel that way, but I definitely observe that. So I'm curious, what are you seeing from the people coming in? You, you said that perfect word, that R word, and that's the reality that a lot of people are waiting for. Many borrowers, so that's the small business owners that might be looking to buy a home in the future, anybody who's looking to buy a home, would love to have lower interest rates. The, and recessions often bring that, almost every time, in fact. But there's another statistic that they're missing when they think about that, and it's that if you look back at the last six recessions that our, our country has gone through, home prices increased four out of the six. And if you take out the housing market where everybody, housing market crash, where we knew that home values declined during that, that was one of the two. So if you, if you remove the anomaly, which was that bubble that burst out of, you have five recessions, home values increased four out of the five times. So waiting for a rate to fall, that recessionary piece that you're talking about may save some money in interest, but it's going to cost more to buy a house. I want to ask a different question. I want to come back to rates and inventory and all that. We'll do that in a quick lightning round at the end, just to get your opinion on where this might be going. But on behalf of the small business owner that's listening, the entrepreneur that doesn't work for a big company, what do you really think? Not you, but what does the industry really think about self-employed and how much do we have to prove and show to get the rates that we deserve? Like, I'm just curious about, hi, I have my own business. I want a big fat loan. What is the perception of that person? And what do we need to do to show that we're a good risk for a lender? That's an amazing question. And I love that. And it's actually regulatory that drives regulated, regu government regulation that drives all of this. So lenders that want to securitize a mortgage and produce it out to anybody else. In other words, if a lender takes it, and they hold it forever themselves, and they don't use Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Ginny Mae, any of those, they can really do whatever they want. That's a tiny percentage of the mortgage community. It's less than 5% uh, of all mortgages originated in the country fall into that category. If you want to have the assets of Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Ginny, or any other industry investor that's out there, you need to originate the mortgage according to uh, the 
Dodd-Frank Act, and there's a, persis- a specific part in there called the ability to repay. So we call that ATR. And that's very specific about how income calculation must be done with a self-employed borrower. So it's not my opinion or anybody else's opinion that really matters in those situations. It's the documentation necessary to make it work. Now, people that are in my shoes will run fast from those if they haven't taken the time to understand what uh, a tax return looks like. Tax returns are wildly complicated. Um, for someone who doesn't know what they're looking at, you, you know, you slap them with two years of tax returns. It could easily be 100 pages. And so many just shy away from that altogether. Uh, my team loves them. You know, we, we, we have for many years and we're, we're a huge fan of small businesses, entrepreneurs, all the things. And uh, we love to help people. But at the end of the day, even though we love that person, if we can't get them to meet those guidelines, we're still going to be stuck in that spot of not yet. But in general, if we can come in with a couple of years of tax returns, we're making money, we can prove it, it we shouldn't run into a problem, should we? Absolutely not. It should be no problem at all if all, all right. those things agree. There are other cat- other characteristics, obviously. I got to say that. But <laughs> of course, <laughs> you mentioned is all good stuff. All right. I just ask because sometimes I worry when I walk into a bank or a mortgage office and I do my own thing. You know, they look at me like I run a lemonade stand or something. So I just wanted to make sure that we were qualified and could get a loan. Let's play lightning round real quick. Uh, what is going on with home prices and inventory or home prices in your crystal ball? Are they going up? Are they going down? What's going on with inventory? The data is so clear. I mean, it is a crystal ball, but the data is so clear. They're trending upwards and they will continue to trend upwards for the foreseeable future. And is that a combination of where the prices are going and inventory, or is it lack of inventory that's driving the prices? Uh, It's definitely a supply and demand thing. So it's an inventory piece that there's less homes available, prices are going up, but also the cost to develop a lot in the United States is out of control. It's almost six figures just to before you can even put a hole in the ground in the state of Wisconsin to develop a lot currently. So until that regulatory piece comes down to make it cheaper, the inventory issue will always be there because they can't build affordable housing for new homeowners with the way that the regulations are currently set up for developing new buildings. New almost, uh, almost out of time. Where are we in the next 90 days with rates up or down? What do you think? Likely down. Likely down. I'll take that as a Christmas miracle. Michael Creed, producing branch manager, Luminate Home Loans. Thanks for joining us in the Pat Miller Show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Have an awesome day. Happy holidays, everybody. Absolutely. Always great to have Michael on the show. We are coming back with more on America's small business conversation. We're talking about accounting practices end this year and start next year in style. Cecilia Boss is our guest. Coming up next in the Pat Miller Show. America's small business conversation continues next on The Pat Miller Show. Are you a woman who needs to protect and grow your business? Or do you have a secret dream to start one? I bet you do. If you don't have a lawyer on your side, you may be putting your family and personal assets at risk. I know, I know. You might be avoiding lawyers because they seem overwhelming or intimidating. That's why you have to meet the team at Athena Legal Solutions, LLC.com. This all-woman team of talented lawyers are the most approachable, knowledgeable, and friendly team you'll ever meet. They exist solely to support women business owners who often go without the legal support they truly need. In 2023, they want to help 223 women create a solid legal foundation for their business. The first 100 women who mention this ad will receive over $100 off of their LLC starter package. Visit Athena Legal Solutions, LLC.com. 
now. America's small business conversation continues on the Pat Miller Show. Welcome back to the Pat Miller Show, America's small business conversation. And look at the calendar and look at how much year is left. And oh my gosh, here comes 2024. If you're like me, I probably shouldn't admit this on air, but if you're like me, your books are kind of messy. So what do we need to do to put 2023 to bed and not bring our bad bookkeeping habits with us into 2024? We have help. Cecilia Boss is the owner of Boss's Optimal Solutions. Cecilia, welcome to the Pat Miller Show. How many people are asking you this question right now? Um, actually, hello. Well, thank you for the, the wonderful introduction. Um, I actually have picked, had four phone calls today alone about we're at the end of the year and I don't know what to do and I'm not sure if I did it right. Yeah, it's kind of with everyone, and we're all kind of panicking because we're almost out of calendar. Let's get precise about this. I want to talk about how to clean up 23, and then maybe what should we do to make sure 24 goes a little bit better. So let's start with cleaning up 23. When those four people are on your line, what do you tell them to do to clean up their bookkeeping mess? Well, besides hire me, um, the first thing (laughs) we tell them is, or we ask questions. We ask questions like, so have you been entering your stuff into your books? If you have, have you been reconciling them? If you uh, have not been reconciling your books, do you know what that means? Um, that's a big one. It, not only is it just creating your, your shoebox of receipts, but it's also making sure that those receipts are in an organized manner that you can create calculations, whether you're using a bookkeeping software, which is obviously our favorite, or you're using good old-fashioned spreadsheets, and God forbid if we're using pen and paper. Um, But you want to make sure that no matter what you're doing, you have it figured out exactly what's what with your receipts. And then from there, you need to be reconciling your accounts and you reconcile your business accounts no differently than you reconcile your personal accounts. You need to know what am I, have I missed? What's cleared? What hasn't cleared? Those are big ones that are need to be done by year end to make sure that when you do get your end end totals, you are spot on for them. Because nine times out of 10, when we're using something other than a software that we're actually reconciling, we will miss something. Now, in that answer, you shared a bunch of words that every entrepreneur will yeah, yeah, and say, oh, I know exactly what she meant. But I know that that's not the case. Can you think of another area of our business where people nod and smile, where they know so little, like this is so important and so many people like me pretend to know, but we don't really know. There's a lot of areas that that happens. And, and you know, when you start talking about, we'll use the term reconciliations, they're going to go, oh, yeah, I know what that means. Um, I literally just had that conversation 20 minutes ago with somebody who walked into my office off the street and we were talking and, and you can tell by the facial expression. Yeah, they, they're nodding and agreeing, but they're not really <laughs> sure what exactly you're talking about. And then you lead in with other questions because you don't want to ask them. So do you really know what that means or are you just making me feel good? <laughs> Um, and you, you, you ask other questions of, so when you finish with your reconciliation for the month, could you run a profit and loss statement and know exactly what your net income was? Were you able to say, I spent this much money on my advertising and promotion, or I spent this much money on my materials and supplies. And when you start getting more in depth in your conversation, people then start opening up about the fact that, well, I didn't quite know what you meant by that. But I assumed I was doing it. And then we get into, all right, well, let's process this. Can we put into place to make sure that you are actually doing it, not assuming that you're doing it? Wow. 
Okay, that really hit home for me. Knowing where everything lands to close out the year, is there anything else that we should be paying attention to right now before we say goodbye to 2023? So a couple of the big things you want to make sure you're paying attention to is if you're using subcontractors. Um, if you use vendors outside of your business, you want to make sure that no matter who that vendor is, you're getting what they call a W-9. That W-9 is a form that the government put together so that you can understand is this vendor an, an LLC? Are they an S-Corp? Are they a corporation? Because when you figure out your year-end numbers, if you've paid an LLC or a sole proprietor over $600, you need to then turn around and do what they call 1099. And that 1099 needs to be prepared based on the total dollar values that you've paid that vendor. And it's much easier to have obtained those W-9s during the year. But if worst case scenario, you haven't done it all year because you didn't realize you needed to do it, now is the time to get on it um, because we have deadlines at the end of January where those have to be submitted. So the faster you get on it, the easier it is to submit them timely. Great reminder on the W-9s and the 1099s. We're talking with Cecilia Boss. She's the owner of Boss's Optimal Solutions about closing out 2023 and then not bringing those bad habits into 2024. So let's turn our attention to the new year. Ah, brand new year with an empty shoebox. Hooray! What should we do differently next year so we don't hate ourselves in December of 2024? So big ones are, if you aren't using a software for your bookkeeping, I highly recommend you do. Um, one, you can pre-establish rules. You can make things work easier. You can tie other apps to the software, depending on which software you're using to make sure that you are staying on top of all of your income and all of your expenses for the year. Um, the other big one, I'm a big fan of HubDoc because I'm a big fan of document retention. We are getting into an era where we use paper with thermal ink that disappears within less than six months. So we want to make sure that we are recording those through document management so that if we need to, a year and a half from now, go back and look at that receipt, we are still able to actually see it. So I'm a big fan of HubDoc. Um, that allows you to obtain, take a picture of the receipt. It pushes itself out into a cloud-based software that can then go into bookkeeping softwares and as well as be saved as a PDF into Google Drive, OneDrive any of those. Um, so that's a big one for me. Those are two big ones for me that I encourage. Uh, the other big one I encourage is that you make sure that you are obtaining those W-9s every time you start working with a new vendor, make it part of your process to get a copy of their W-9 and their certificate of insurance. That's going to protect you for year-end purposes. And if you are under a work comp audit, you already have the information that you need ahead of the game, ahead of of having to go back to them a year later and say, hey, by the way, can I get? Yeah. yeah, I need this, by the way, or I'm going to get sued. Right. Uh, let's do a quick brainstorm. We all know about QuickBooks. Are there other apps like that that we might be able to start using in January that maybe we don't know about that might be a better fit for us than QuickBooks? So there's QuickBooks, there's Sage, there's Zero, which is literally like the Xerox machine spelled the same way, but it's pronounced Zero. There is, if you're more cost uh conscious. There is Wave and there is FreshBooks. The biggest thing with any software is you have to be careful that it can actually do what you need it to do as your business. Um, they put limitations on some of these where you may not be able to add to your chart of accounts or how you are identifying those expenses, those income and expenses. You may not be able to add what they've already got programmed in. So whatever software you choose, you want to make sure you're picking the one that works best for your business type and where you're looking to grow that business to 
or talk to somebody like myself who can help you figure that part out. You got to get this stuff done, not only to close out 23, to make sure that 24 goes smoothly. That's why we wanted to have the conversation. Cecilia Boss of Boss's Optimal Solutions. Thanks for coming on the Pat Miller Show. I appreciate it. Oh, I thank you for having me. It's been a blast. Up next on the Pat Miller Show, we're going to do something that I absolutely love. We bring a small business owner on the air and we do a thing we call the Idea Slam. They present a challenge or an opportunity and we kind of do some open brainstorming with one another to help them out. Claire Skivington is standing by. She wants to better understand her target audience. So we're going to talk through how to find it and how to focus so you can make more money. Get ready to be creative. We're helping out Claire coming up next on this edition of the Pat Miller Show. Thanks for tuning in. America's small business conversation continues next on the Pat Miller Show. Developing your business is a journey. So make sure and bring along a trusted sidekick. As your business grows, Sidekick Accounting will be there. Sidekick Accounting's core services help take the confusion out of bookkeeping, tax preparation, and tax planning. Who's going to keep track of all those pesky receipts and invoices? Well, Sidekick Accounting has things covered as you grow your version of business success. So whether your small business is a side hustle or a conduit to freedom and owning your own business in time, get in touch with a trusted Sidekick. Sidekick Accounting. There are expert advisors waiting to hear from you now. Feel free to call or send a text message to 414-310-7689. That's 414-310-7689. You can find them on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, or visit Sidekick-Accounting.com. Remember, developing your business is a journey, so bring along a trusted Sidekick. Now, America's small business conversation continues on The Pat Miller Show. Welcome back to The Pat Miller Show, America's small business conversation. And we're going to do my favorite thing. We're going to do an idea slam live on the radio. This is where someone comes and they have a question or they need some clarity or they just need a partner to talk something out. And you and I are going to do it together with Claire Skivington. She's the founder of Amor E. Asana which is a Spanish language yoga company, which is like the coolest thing ever. Let's welcome Claire to the show. Claire, thanks for coming on the Pat Miller Show. How are you today? Thanks, Pat. I'm great. I'm excited to be here. And you did an excellent job with all the pronunciation. So we're starting <laughs> off super strong. <laughs> well, that's good because I had to practice a few times off the air to be fair. But uh, we get to do some brainstorming and idea generation, which is my favorite thing. So tell us about the business. Then how can we help you today? Yeah. Um, so as you mentioned, we offer yoga classes in Spanish. Um, we also do retreats and workshops, et cetera. But the main focus is yoga taught in Spanish um, here in Wisconsin, but we also have virtual. Um, so my main question is we started our business in June. Um, so we are less than a year old and it's been really exciting kind of figuring out who our audience is, really connecting with the community um, through yoga, which is awesome. But obviously, we're wanting to continue to grow. Um, my niche is the Spanish-speaking community. Uh, my question is, how do you narrow down that niche? How do you kind of focus it in? Um, and how do you reach that audience? 
um, you know, I have a few advertising techniques that I'm practicing, but I'm always open to learning more, um, especially in this in this startup phase. That's a great question and something that's applicable, whether it's Spanish language yoga or a uh, ice cream man that's driving down the street. It's applicable to everybody and we all want to grow. So the question, if I hear it correctly, is you started in June, you've got a very clear target audience. How do you continue to get more members for the yoga practice? Is that fair? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Just wanted to make sure I knew. So the thing that we need to understand is what does success look like? If in the next six months you were able to get to this kind of growth, are we talking 10 new members or 500 new members? What does success look like? Okay, that's a great question. So my class limit is 20. If I want 50 to 75% attendance, right now, 10 to 15 people in a class. I have three classes a week in person. Um my virtual offerings are important too, but I think I'm really, really focusing first on getting people in person. Um, what do I need to do to do that? I don't know. I, I, I need to continue to grow awareness. And I think there's a lot of interest. Um, but specifically with this service, I think it's a lot of breaking that routine. Um, and so I guess going back to that niche question, Who's my target audience that's really engaged in wellness and is willing to kind of create a new routine with me? Um, and how do I figure that out? So let's start here. 15 to 20 new members in the next six months would be a great start. Okay. So we don't need to go get a parade of a thousand people to beat down your door. So we're looking for maybe six or 10 centers of influence to bring a friend would be a way that we could think about this. Because if you've got a base now, you know what your service is, you've got a beautiful target market, now we need to let people know that it exists. There are nuances inside the Spanish-speaking community that I don't know, recognizing that. But do you think that your closest new member would be a Spanish-speaking yoga enthusiast or an English-speaking yoga enthusiast that wants to be better at speaking Spanish or be immersed in that community? You know, interestingly enough, a lot of my clients have never practiced yoga before. And a lot of the clients that seem to be recurring clients um, are the ones that are discovering yoga for the first time. And I do think that that goes back to kind of the mission of what we do and, and access, mm -hmm. um, because this might be the first time that it's being offered in someone's native language. So I do think that's pretty specific to my business model. Um, but I also think it's important to recognize it's people who are discovering the benefits of yoga and enjoying it. So I'm assuming I probably just need to focus on, you know, how do I, how do I create that messaging to people who may be looking for something mental or physical wellness wise? I think that's great. And I like the idea of focusing on first time that you're discovering yoga and you're discovering this new uh, awareness and wellness and calmness that can come from moving amongst others in an area that you would feel comfortable in. Because if you are a Spanish speaking native in Madison, you're surrounded every day by people that don't speak Spanish. If you're working out and you're performing your wellness in a room full of the Spanish language, that would inherently make them feel more comfortable to begin with while they're doing something they're uncomfortable doing. Yeah. It would be double alienating if they were in an English speaking yoga class because they're not a native speaker and they're doing something for the first time. So 
how can we bring this together? Uh, I would play on the first. I would play on the first of the month. I would play on first-time members. I would play on the people that you have can bring a member for the first class free. You could get into some of the Spanish language words for first or uh, and play off of Amazon Prime or Primero or something like that where you're really going through with your theme is bringing yoga to the Spanish-speaking community and bringing them together as folks that are getting more out of the class than just getting limber. So I would challenge you as the practitioner, what happens around the class that makes it feel more like a group of people that care about one another than a group of people that roll out a mat and leave without talking to one another? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great, great idea. And I think you really hit the nail on the head when you're kind of talking about the mission. And um, have you ever done yoga before? I have. And it's a hot mess. I'm a very tall guy. There's a whole lot of me going in weird ways when I do yoga. I'm like, I'm a tall guy too. <laughs> but I think like going off of what you're saying about what kind of like, I, if I'm hearing you right, just kind of sharing like what kind of environment people are walking into and sharing that through messaging. Um, one of the biggest things for me is since you've done yoga before, you know, you're just doing really weird stuff. And being able to hear that in your native language, in my opinion, already creates a level of comfort. And a level of safety because there's risk with every exercise, right? But but a level of comfort um, that I want to project through messaging that that's what you're coming into and walking into. So um, I think that that is really good food for thought and how I use that in advertising messaging. So if we pulled it all together, you could even go as far as have uh, this Tuesday's uh, community yoga class will mm-hmm. feature this artist before the class starts and then refreshments will be offered by this person Mm -hmm. and a community conversation about this topic. So it's what happens around the yoga class that makes it feel like a group of people that are getting together with one another and they just so happen to be doing yoga. It's not just come do yoga and walk away. I love that. We actually do uh, partnerships once a month with different Latino owned businesses And we do, sometimes it's socializing, sometimes it's a hit class in yoga or whatever it may be. Um, But I do really like the idea of having a community conversation offered. That's really interesting. And um, that definitely aligns with the direction we're already going with these monthly events. Um, And having that kind of opened up and creating space to maybe, I don't know, listen and learn about a specific topic or even share and learn from each other. I don't know what the topic would be off the top of my head, but that's something I could definitely look into and try to develop. That's a great idea. Well, and if we zoom out for a second, what makes a great yoga business? Having a group of practitioners that come frequently and never leave. What makes them feel like it's for them? When you're tailoring the entire experience for them and their community, and you become this oasis of understanding for them inside the community, in which they live. One other note, if you're listening in and thinking, well, how come Claire doesn't just talk to English-speaking yoga enthusiasts because there is way more of them in Madison, Wisconsin? You could do that. However, I'm always looking for a niche and I always want an audience to get as narrow as possible and grow from there. So I definitely think that you're on the right track. Okay, here's the thing. You got to call back and tell us how our ideas worked for you. Claire Skivington, founder of Amor E. Asana in Madison, Wisconsin. We wish you a lot of luck. Thanks for calling into the Pat Miller Show.
Thanks, Pat. It was a pleasure. So much fun doing an idea slam here on the Pat Miller Show. I love to do it. And I love to do it so much because that is available twice a week, every week for you inside the Idea Collective small business community. Can you imagine if you had a challenge and you could turn to a community full of entrepreneurs that put collaboration over competition and they show up to help one another so we can have our small businesses grow and thrive? That's what's happening inside the Idea Collective small business community, and it's free for you to try You can be my guest. Come check it out and see if it's right for you. Visit smallbusinesscommunity.com. Smallbusinesscommunity.com. And there you can take the two-week free trial and see if that kind of support is what you need in your business. Coming up, we're talking about 2024 goals and how to make them come true. That's next on The Pat Miller Show. America's small business conversation continues next on the Pat Miller Show. You're an expert in your own field, so why not get paid for it? Hey there, it's Wendy Babcock. My VIP paid speaker program is just the ticket you need to convert your knowledge into real income. No matter what size group you're speaking to, or if you don't have any products, books, or programs to sell, even if you're not a celebrity or a household name, from crafting your talk to finding and booking paid speaking gigs, get it all with Wendy's VIP paid speaker program. Keynote speakers can make anywhere from 2500 to 7500 bucks a talk. Together, we'll not only amp up your speaking game, you'll discover the ins and outs of finding and booking those lucrative gigs and get paid every time you step on stage. Right now, get 90 days of full access to the Paid Speaker Vault and a direct line to Wendy, plus a bonus, an immersive three-hour VIP day with Wendy to create your online profiles that event hosts simply can't resist. Don't wait. Sign up now at VIPPaidSpeaker.com. VIPPaidSpeaker.com. Now, America's small business conversation continues on the Pat Miller Show. Welcome back to the Pat Miller Show, America's small business conversation, and the holidays are here. That means all that deep thought and work about what am I going to be next year and how will I achieve my goals? We've set our goals. Now we need to build the framework to help us achieve them. So we know where we want to go, but how do we run our week to ensure that we get there. So I thought it would be a good time to bring on our friend, Jenna Pichet. She's a time management coach at First Light Coaching, and she's an expert at just this subject. Jenna, welcome to the Pat Miller Show. Let's talk about our schedules. When we get into January and we're all excited, where does our calendar management go wrong? The first mistake we make is that we don't intentionally set aside where we are going to tackle those big goals that we set, and we just run into the new year like we did last year. We take each day as it comes. We let our email be like the annoying little to-dos that we get from everyone else, and we don't intentionally block the time to do the thing that's going to help us hit the goal. And we got to talk about that because I know about making something a priority, but intentionally blocking the time for the specific goal. Uh, Let's get really clear about that. What do you mean? Is it as literal as it sounds? It is as literal as it sounds. So time blocking is one of these things that if we don't put things on our calendar, they don't get done. So actually having that block of an hour, two hours on your calendar is the physical space reminder that, oh yeah, I was going to do that important work here. Or even things are going to set you up to show up as the best 
version of yourself for your business. So let's say you say, I'm going to start working out in the morning. Well, you better set that time black, which means setting the alarm to get out of bed to do that workout or that thing's never going to happen. So the first thing that I tell my clients to do is really set up guardrails. We need to understand in a new year, new, better version of you, what is the bedtime you really want to go after? And what's the wake up time? What kind of time do you need in the morning to get yourself ready for a productive workday? And then work that and set the guardrail. So once you have a bedtime and a wake up time, then when are you going to start work and when are you going to end it? There's a lot of power in that constraint. And if we don't set the start time in the end time, that work will expand to as much time as we think it needs. But if we know we have to be out by 4.30 because we have a new commitment to make it home to family dinner three or four nights a week, then we know that's a hard step. And so we're more likely to get the stuff done before 4.30. We talk about small business being a lifestyle. And what you just hit on is exactly it. If this was corporate America, you never hear someone come in and say, well, let's talk about our bedtime and let's talk about our calendar time. You're starting at the actual lifestyle, the time we go to bed, the time that we wake up. And that's the success, like the key that you see for small business owners is to think about every aspect of our life. Yeah, I find that when we think about how we spend our time in its totality, we do a much better job and scheduling our time at work because we're so excited to spend our time in the things outside of work that matter. So if I don't have anything going on outside of work, I probably don't care if I work at 12 hour work day, right? But if I have priorities, I want to, you know, I want to get in a workout, I want to have dinner with my kids or go on a date night with my partner, then it's more important for me because I need to get to that. And so these work hours are even more important. So then once we hit those guardrails and we set them, then it's about saying, when am I most productive during my day? For me, because I'm a morning person, that's between about 8.30 and 10 o'clock. So I come into the office at about 8 o'clock. I do a startup routine that includes checking my email, getting back to anyone. Who needs to hear from me right now, including clients? Then I black out 8 to 10 to work on the needle moving activities that start with what's the next best step toward that goal I just set that's going to move me forward in my business this year. It doesn't mean that I'm losing an hour in LinkedIn at you know 8.30 in the morning, which we all can do if we don't set a guardrail. It means I'm doing the needle moving activities first thing in the morning or whenever I have that energy. So then if the rest of my day explodes, I know at least I made that major action so that I don't get to the end of the quarter, or the end of the year and say, well, I didn't have time. We've done the goal setting, and now we're talking about how to make those goals come true by managing our time better. Jenna Pichet is our guest, and I want to ask about that time block, about that next big thing, because there is a push-pull tension with, I've got invoices to pay or emails to respond to or that thing I want to go to, but to set aside time where you're really working on that big goal sometimes doesn't feel that good. It feels like you're not progressing the business forward when in reality, you're doing the most important thing. How do you coach people through that? Well, I do find that people hit resistance when they hit these time blocks, right? The the day-to-day of running our business sometimes seems more important than that thing that, oh, that's just a nice initiative for me to do. But if we leave time in our day intentionally to get to all of those other things, then we feel better tackling the big needle moving stuff because we know I'm going to tackle all that admin stuff, say from three to four o'clock. 
So it's just as important to create a time block for those things that keep your business running. And then, you know, you can just check that box off in your brain saying, I'm already taking care of that. So let me let that go until the time comes so I can focus and be here on and where my business is moving. Because frankly, if you don't do the needle moving things and you don't make time for that, those things you're doing to keep your business running won't matter. We've talked about setting it up. We've talked about our best, most productive time. We've talked about the time blocking on the biggest items. We've only got a few moments left. If we're thinking about really making those big 2024 goals come true, are there any other major facets of scheduling our week to make sure that we can wake up six months from now and be at least halfway to where we want to be next year? Schedule your rest and rejuvenation time. So we tend to get about six hours of sleep, and that's the equivalent of being and operating your business like you are legally drunk. And you don't want to be making big business decisions in that fog. So please, please prioritize seven to eight hours of sleep, whatever that means for you. If you want to wake up at 5 a.m., then you need to be in bed by nine o'clock to make that happen. And it's not just sleep time. Our brains need a break on the weekends, in the middle of the day. You are not a robot. So give yourself 10 minutes in the middle of the day. Schedule lunch. Make sure you're not working on the weekends because that's your your recharge time so you can show up as the best version of you. And frankly, if you have to work on the weekends and you think that's the most productive thing you can do, I can show it's a critical sign that your week wasn't pretty. So schedule and honor that rest and rejuvenation time and you'll show up better during your week. When we try and fix a small business, when we try and get it to where we want it to go, an army of MBAs is not really what's always needed. We need to focus on the person that's leading the small business lifestyle. And a conversation like this, if you're not really accustomed to having a conversation like this, might feel all touchy-feely, but it's incredibly important if you want to optimize your most productive item, which is your time and your ability to operate. Jenna Pichet from First Light Coaching, thank you so much for coming on and helping us understand what it takes to make 2024 a big year. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Go get 2024, everyone. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for tuning in to America's Small Business Conversation. We'll talk to you right here next week. Thanks for listening to The Pat Miller Show. See patmillershow.com for more information on today's guests, events, and the Idea Collective small business community. A worldwide group working together to fight fear, inexperience, and isolation for small business owners everywhere. Join us next week for The Pat Miller Show. And remember, get clear, work hard, and never quit. Guests on The Pat Miller Show have agreed prior to appearing that they are receiving consultation and advice that they may or may not use at their own risk. No part of the show should replace accounting, tax, or legal advice.